everyone. Thank you for tuning in to One Real Self, a podcast embracing diversity and the journey of self-discovery, love, and growth. I'm Joyce. And I'm Callie. And welcome to today's episode. So Joyce, this month is Mental Health Month, as well as Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so we want to use this opportunity to talk more about our backgrounds, to share this with our audience. So in our previous episodes, we've been inviting a special guest, but this one is going to be just Callie and I. Uh, Exciting. (laughs) And you can get to know the both of us a little bit more. So to give a little context of what Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month is. Um, So in 1978, Congress passed a public law which commemorates and recognizes May as AAPI Heritage Month. Um, May was selected as the month of recognition to commemorate the immigration of the first Japanese migrants to the U.S. on May 7, 1843, and the completion of the first transcontinental railroad on May 10th, 1869 by Chinese laborers. So I grew up in California um, and my family had immigrated to the US back in the 80s. So it was first my uncle who came from Hong Kong. The story is pretty fascinating in that, you know, during the time there was a lot that was going on in China in like the 70s and the 80s. And so it was one of the uh, immigrants that was able to come to America. And what he likes to tell my, my family is that he was the person who like chose to come to California, which is why my family's here. And he had also mentioned how he chose right the first time because California ended up being one of the best states that he was able to explore. Um, He like did like a whole road trip around like the US and like chose to settle here. Wow. When you said that, I kind of thought that your uncle moved to California because back then there was this thing that in Cantonese they call it Gamsan. And I think it meant like San Francisco is a land of golden mountain. And I thought that was why, but it was interesting to hear that he came here and then actually drove across to see where he wants to stay at and decided to stay in San Francisco. So that's pretty interesting. Did he move there? And then he just kind of got our families to move there with him or? Yeah, so my uncle came here first uh, and then my dad um, immigrated here. And then years later, then my mom. um, And then that's how like, um, yeah, like they were were married. I see your reaction, Kelly. Like they they, they got (laughs) married. You saw the question on my face. (laughs) Yeah, my mom and dad got married in China. Um, but then they knew that they wanted to come to America. And like a big reason for that is they wanted to start family. And at the time, like, you know, it was like the end of the cultural revolution in China. And they just like really evaluated, okay, where do I want to start my life, my family life? Is it in China? Is it in the US? And they just came here because they just wanted their kids to have a better future. So like, that's why they came to like the US. And then, you know, then there comes my sister and I. So my family is definitely not the same as yours. We all live in Hong Kong and then we slowly move here one by one. My older sister went to Canada and did boarding school for a while. And then my younger sister and I moved to New York and then went to school there for a little bit. Then we moved to Canada, a province in Canada called British Columbia. My older sister went to boarding school in Montreal, Quebec. 
And I guess you can say British Columbia is where we kind of got back together again because we were a little separated at first. And then slowly we moved back to New York again. So it was a lot of moving for us on our part. We like went to New York, Canada, back to New York, and now I'm in California. But definitely nothing like what your uncle did, like being the first person to move across the globe. Your uncle is adventurous. Yeah, it's one of those like fascinating stories that I love hearing, uh, even from my own friends, just hearing like how their like families, if they were first generation, like how they came to America. For example, like my like, my partner's grandpa came here and he was a veteran like, in the war. And so it's just, yeah, it's just like a lot of like, inspiring stories that, you know, come from like these immigrant stories. It's true. And I think a lot of times like, we don't ask the older generation like their story or like how they got here. And we just kind of take advantage of it. So I think it's very important that we're talking about it. I remember hearing my grandma talk about her stories in China. And she was saying that it was very difficult in the sense she would live through World War I and they had to like hide underground and they only ate potatoes every single day because there was nothing else to eat. And I think hearing that story and how she went from there and then came to America, that was inspiring because you don't get to hear that kind of story at your history classes in school. Because these are all like personal accounts and you're never going to get this information anywhere else except through your family. I, I think you bring up an interesting point because I think of my grandparents and how because they were raised during a time of war, they, they're hesitant with sharing with me some information from their like childhood and things like that because they're just worried that if I like told other people, like there's still that fear there. It's crazy how trauma works because as we all know, America is totally okay to speak your mind. And I mean, obviously freedom of speech. Yeah. They oftentimes would tell, if they were to tell me something, just like, don't tell the people, like, (laughs) you don't know if you can trust them. Just like, no, like, I think it's okay. And they're like, yeah, just don't. I'm just like, okay, like I just won't. But it's like one of those things that, like you said, it's like deep ingrained where there is still like a bit of that worry and that like that trauma. Callie, what was it like growing up in Canada? Oh, oh yeah. I I used to live in British Columbia, so that's right above Seattle. And at first, before I moved to Canada, I used to live in New York. And in New York, that's when I first learned English. And it was very hard because I didn't know any English. I remember someone would talk to me and I would just not say anything because I didn't understand a thing they said. Or if I told, if I want to tell someone to go behind me, I would be like, me back, back back and I'll point behind me but then they would be kind of confused because obviously my English was so limited but I was very fortunate that I met someone who spoke Cantonese and so I kind of stuck to her like a leech (laughs) I was just kind of like hey like you speak Cantonese please save me (laughs) and and I guess luckily she also became my best friend at a time she kind of helped me navigate around the whole, I guess you can say elementary school dramas, all those stuff is super random. But one more time, um, there were some girls who were like, hey, if you want to be one of the popular girls, you cannot be Kylie's friends anymore. And obviously at a time when you're young, that like being popular means everything. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I want to be popular. But then that also means I have to sacrifice my friend. And I was very fortunate enough that where she was like, hey, like, that's not okay. I'm going to choose Kylie over being popular. And I was like, wow, like that was very sweet of her. But there are some people who are very nice to me. Even till today, I remember their name. They were all very nice people. And and then so when I moved away from New York to Canada, I was very heartbroken because I felt like I was starting to get comfortable and know my community and know the people and have and start making friends. So when I moved to Canada, I was very sad. But 
Luckily, I didn't have to go through any of those issues in Canada. Everyone accepted me with open arms and they were very nice to me. So I didn't feel like I was being bullied or anything in Canada. But then when I moved back from Canada to New York, at that time, I thought that, okay, like language wouldn't be a barrier. But I remember when I went back to New York, I remember someone was like, oh, so you're a Asian Canadian. And like, yes, I am. And then they're like, okay, well, we're going to jump you because you are not American. And I was like, okay, like, I was like, dude, are you serious? I literally had to go through the awkward stage of me being foreigners from Hong Kong. And now you're trying to jump me because I'm a Canadian. I was like, that's crazy. I was like, dude, I speak English just like you. What do you mean you have to jump me? I was like, that's stupid. And luckily, obviously, they didn't jump me. But at the same time, I also became friends with them. I was like, you know, if you're going to jump me, I'm going to kill you with kindness. So, <laughs> is that a Canadian how old, in me? How old were you? Um, when they said it, when they said that we were gonna jump me, I was tenth grade. I was tenth. Oh my god! Grade. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna kill you with kindness. And I guess that's the Canadian in me. Where I was like, you know what? Like, you're not gonna jump me, and that's, there's no chance in hell you doing that. So I just became their friends. And I think afterward, they were kind of like, hey, can you help me with math homework? Very stereotypical. But can you tell uh, me my math homework? I was like, okay. <laughs> Another thing was, I, these teachers weren't really comfortable with who I am because they didn't know who this new girl was. So how to how to navigate around that as well. But I think if anything, like in a previous conversation with Kai, like moving so much only helped me learn to be a better, I guess, communicator and learn how to navigate a little bit better with how to talk to people and learn how to be more uh, outgoing. And at times I was spoken when I have to. Yeah, that makes me so angry that they had threatened to jump you. Like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) You're you're 10th grade. You don't jump people. You know, you don't know what jumping means. You know, just calm down. When I hear like more of the stories of like, you know, being young and growing up as an immigrant, I had thought that for the longest time, it wasn't normal for me to not really know English. I was like that little. But then the more I talk to people, the more I realize like, okay, like I, I'm not by myself. Like this is cool. So I had grown up in, in a Chinese household. I, I was in a household that was like filled with a lot of love. And my parents always like encouraged us to just express ourselves in the household, right? And it's just like when I was young, like when you're two or three, you, you know, being a kid, it's part of like being weird. You just don't think about many things, right? Like no, you, you like scream at the top of your lungs or like do care and like at least when I was little like I wasn't shy so like I would be a different kind of persona when I was at home um, and I, I love being the center of attention too when I was younger as well like being the youngest child but then when I went to preschool like I went to like a predominantly like white preschool mm. and that was when I had like a, a big culture shock because I didn't realize one like they spoke a different language like I I remember being in the classroom needing to go to the bathroom and not knowing how to go to the bathroom like I didn't know how to ask so I just like walked up to the teacher I was awkward I I didn't understand you know what awkward felt like but now looking back I was definitely awkward Um, and I was pointing to the restroom but the teacher didn't understand me. So then I started walking towards the restroom and I got in trouble because I was supposed to sit down. That was like one of my earliest memories. And then also like not really getting along with the kids in school because I felt like I was viewed as someone who was completely different. So I was viewed as an outlier in school where 
you know, the clothes I was wearing was very different from what other kids wore because my parents bought me clothes that were from China. Um, and I didn't know how to speak their language. And so like, I remember being in the playground playing by myself, people oh. not accepting me for oh. like, being myself and like I remember there was one Asian girl that was also my preschool and I was just like be my friend right but she also found me a little weird because I like, didn't know how to speak the language so like I just remember just being emotionally bullied when I was younger because I was different which led me to not want to go to preschool and I remember dropping out early because I told my mom how much I hated it so I remember dropping out, but then only going for graduation. <laughs> That's what happened. I had to drop out early on. I'm, I'm angry. Who dares to hurt the young Joyce? How dare them? And I'm surprised the teachers didn't do anything or like try to make sure that you felt safe. That's frustrating because I thought that as a teacher, you should kind of take care of your preschoolers' mental health. I guess mental health wasn't as big back then, but like making sure they're not ostracized for being different Mm -mm. like this I don't remember too much but I just didn't remember like a good experience and this obviously you know carried on to going to kindergarten like first grade and things like that and trying to like find who I am and just like yeah kids are catty when you had brought up like you know wanting to become popular and things like that yeah yeah at one point I think I was like the catty one (laughs) I I went through so many different personality changes because I I just didn't know. You're like, like who am I? You know, like the whole like um topic of finding yourself. I feel like that carries over. Right? Hold a Mulan. Yeah, when you're little. But I had like the best like kindergarten first grade teacher oh, growing up dear. who created that safe environment for me. So when you drop out of preschool, do your parents try to get you to take more English classes or? make sure that you learn English before going to kindergarten or do you kind of just like, okay, we'll just let Joyce chill a little bit. I don't think I identified that the reason why I had to drop out was because people viewed me as different. I just remember just watching a lot of TV, like English TV. <laughs> Yeah, I love English TV. My my mom would, my sister and I to also do like those like workbooks. Oh like, no, I hate workbooks. I, yeah. It, oh, every like, immigrant that I know of went through studying English workbooks, all that stuff. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, oh man, especially when my parents find the good deals of like discounted workbooks. And we'd be pressured to do it. I remember like a whole box came one time filled with worksheets. And my mom, I I have this image where my mom was probably really excited. And like, you know, I probably was really excited too until I found out that those were workbooks. And it's for you. (laughs) Yeah. When you mentioned watching TV, that reminds me too. Because when I first moved to New York, I didn't know any English. So I would listen to English songs. Uh, watch a bunch of cartoons. I remember I used to watch Scooby Doo all the time. Yes, and Kim Possible. Um, oh, love yes. that show. Yeah, and then um, I was and I remember like um, Hillary Duff. Uh, so yesterday was very big that time, and then my cousin would be like, "What does yesterday means?" And I would be like, "Oh, it means come yet in Cantonese." And she's like, "Oh, good job, Kylie. Good job." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm so proud. I know my English." And then when I go back to school, I'm like, "Damn, I don't know anything." <laughs> <laughs> oh 
I just remembered. Yeah, Hillary Duff was in that show, Lizzie McGuire. Yeah, Lizzie McGuire. Oh my gosh, those were the days. But yeah, I I grew up learning English from watching these cartoons and TVs and music. And I remember I was reading Arthur the car the cartoon books, and I was reading those all the time. That's how I learned English. Speaking in English was very scary for me, even at home. But luckily, my younger sister was pushing me to speak English. She was like, "Hey, Kylie, you have to speak English at home. You cannot always speak Cantonese at home, or else you can't practice, and you're gonna start having accent, and people are gonna make fun of you for having an accent." And so there's all these things. I was like, "Oh my god, I need to learn how to do all that stuff. I need to know how to speak English. Can I have accent?" So that was scary for me. But yeah, I just want to bring that up point because I was like, "Oh my god, learning through learning English through TV was such a was such a relatable thing." I think. My English didn't improve until I went to like kindergarten. You know, I I no longer could drop out. <laughs> like I had, to, had to go through it. I had to go through it, and so it was at school that I practiced my English. But when I was at home, the only other person I could speak English to was my sister, right? But then, like for my parents, and I also lived with my grandparents, we had to speak Cantonese. Oh, well, that makes sense. So it's obviously like harder to practice English at home. Yeah, it was hard.、Um, and then now I like it's funny because my Cantonese isn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> I went from like a hundred to maybe like you went from a hundred to ninety-seven. Oh, that 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 actually is like really good. If I went to ninety-seven, but I I can't give myself that much credit. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think I went to like a. Seventy percent. I like to think. Oh, seventy percent is good. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I I think my Chinese also started getting worse when I start trying to embrace American culture, assimilate myself with the people around me. I started to. It hurts me to say this, but I started to hate my culture a little bit more. And then because I was like, oh yeah, like if I want to be cool, I gotta love the American food. I gotta love the American music. I gotta start not loving the Chinese music. And I think even at some point I started hating dim sum, which is very sad because dim sum is a staple food in our culture. Like dim sum is the biggest thing ever. Everyone loves dim sum, and dim sum's great. It is, and it sucks because it took me a while to start liking it. And obviously, like I know people hear these stories all the time, but like it's true. Like I went through that. Like I hated dim sum, and I only want to eat like pizza, burgers, fries, and I want to eat lunchables. I don't want to eat those Asian food, you know. And thinking back, it's like Kelly, like. You had a lot to go through. You had to start loving yourself. So it was a lot of years of like unlearning all those, I guess, hatred for part of who I am, and then start loving that part. And then now that our food became a popular thing, and you're like, you used to judge me for eating chicken feet, and then you guys are like, dim sum is so good. I'm like, what? It's crazy. Uh, I chicken feet, which is uh bone sao, yes, in Cantonese, yeah, so good. I、yes. never understand when people are just like, oh, like I don't want to eat that. I'm just like, what are you talking about? It's the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> I so resonate with you on that. I I have a memory, and I feel like all like all these memories right now are like disjointed, just because it's it's been such a long time now. There was this one instance where. I preferred having peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Oh my god! Like, peanut butter. Why? <laughs> yeah, I wanted the peanut butter and jelly sandwich instead of my dumpling, like the dumplings that my parents would make me. Now looking back, dumplings are so much better than like yeah. But I also understand. I think it's like when you're younger, like dumplings, people would be like, "Oh, what's that smell? It smells weird." Yes. Yeah. And and then you're like. Oh, it smells weird, and that's when you start having this notion of my food is different because you're like, oh, like 
I shouldn't be eating this kind of food. And then, sorry, at least for me, I was like, well, have I been eating the wrong food my whole life? <laughs> but no, you're just different food. It's not wrong food. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was actually going to at this point, which is completely not related to food, but I was going to say is when I first moved to the States and I didn't know any English. So just kind of like you, when you went to preschool and, and kindergarten, didn't know any English. I remember they would give us worksheets to to do homework. And it would take me an hour or two just to translate the worksheets. And then I have to write an answer down and then I had to use my dictionary to figure out what it is in English. And it was the most traumatizing thing for me because I would sit at a table for a good, since like after like from like 3 p.m. That's when school ended until like dinner time. And then I still wouldn't have finished my homework because I didn't understand how to do it. And I remember thinking, oh my God, how am I going to survive this? But I'm glad I pulled through. Yeah, uh, I would have to say that English and history were not my strong suits like growing up, which is ironic because I was a communications major in college and all I had to do was read and write. So it's like a like whole 180. But I had instances where I was like that too, Callie. I... I remember in fourth grade, we had these reading tests we had to do, and they even gave us those like little finger pointers so we can like read line by line. It's to test like how quick we can read what? and how proficient we were. Mm-hmm. So like they would like tell us to read it and they would time us. So then they count how many words we read per minute. And then they would tell us at the end, so what did you learn from like the text that you read? One thing about me is I hate pressure. And like to this day, like I still don't love pressure. So to put put in that situation where I just, I didn't like reading, I read slow. So then I was just like trying to focus on reading as much text as possible. I was mispronouncing some words and that very end, they asked me, so what did you learn? It's like, I have no idea. I don't know what I just read. Girl, I was reading. You didn't tell me to analyze it too. (laughs) It's just like one of those instances where, you know, that like language barrier, but also the pressure. Mm -hmm. Scary. So scary. I guess I'll just say I'm glad that I got out of that, but it definitely took a while to get comfortable. And I think I got the most comfortable with my Cantonese background as well as trying to assimilate into the culture that kind of started happening when I was in Canada, when I started embracing myself because maybe because Canada had more Asian Canadians there. So I felt like I belong and I didn't just have one friend that I can just attach myself to. So I was lucky in a sense where I had people who had a similar background. So when I ate our food, like dumplings, or whatever, people wouldn't judge me. And I was like, oh, that's okay. I can eat this. And then people would be eating something similar or if anything, like even more intense, like rice with like meat and vegetables. I was like, wow, like, I felt like I wasn't, the odd one out. One thing I'm curious about is when you moved from Hong Kong, right? Like you were in a country where almost everyone like looked like you, right? And then when you moved to Canada, what was that like seeing, like, did you even recognize like the different races and like things like that? Because I think when we're young, like we don't really think much about race. So I'm like, curious what that was like. Mm, Yeah, I think you're right. I did not give a crap about race I would just like oh that's a girl oh that's a boy I did not care honestly even if I cared I, I would not be able to tell what race they are because I'm like okay like you look different but like the same but different 
And it just didn't matter to me, but I only know what race it would be if they start speaking to me in Cantonese. And I'm like, oh, they're Cantonese. Or they start speaking to me in Mandarin, like, oh, they speak Mandarin. And then that's all I knew. I only knew Cantonese, Mandarin, and then the others. So it didn't really affect me too much. I read Trevor Noah's book. Trevor had talked about how language and also like the way that we look connects us to like you know other people and so there were different groups within where he grew up and so like his mom had taught him all these different languages and he like was able to speak the language of the different groups despite the fact that he looked different right because he had lighter skin and people would be like confused because they're like what you speak our language but you look different so we're not sure if you're with us and it's just I, I just bring that up because you had talked about you know not seeing the different races but like knowing okay like that person speaks Cantonese so I connect with them but then it's just like you saw gender but you didn't see like the different races I think I just could not really grasp the idea of different culture or background I know that the skin colors are different but I I could not really tell them apart but I think when you brought up Trevor Noah's book that's very interesting point because his mom definitely prepped him like she made sure that guy fit in and at some point I wish I was also was prepped by my family but I guess through these experiences I learned to be more comfortable in my skin but obviously it took some time yeah but how long did it take you to get comfortable with your background and then like when do you start learning English do you feel more comfortable with who you are yeah like I had brought up how I had a great kindergarten first grade teacher she created that safe environment for me her name was Dr. Patisse and like when you have a you know instructor like someone in your life that did that for you like she still today holds like a special place in my heart just because she saw how I often sat by myself and like I was very shy and she hung out with me like during the times that like I was by myself and it makes me want to like tear up a bit right now because it's one of those early memories. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like something she helped me with was like make friends and then also um, like reach. Your- I know I'm like tearing up because this is like an early Joy. memory that was so, it was so precious. It's hard to, it's hard to revisit these kind of moments sometimes because sometimes I think you push it down and don't want to think about it. So I'm glad you're being very raw with us today. But Joyce, I know I'm like tearing up. I did not expect myself to tear up because it's like one of those memories that I haven't talked about in the longest time. Yeah, Um, makes sense. So I remember she like gave me like books to read and borrow. Um, She would introduce me to people like in school and like help me make friends. That was like very inspiring. I remember like when I tell my parents this, right, in like Asian culture, if you have a good teacher. It's like you want to give them gifts to like really thank them. She she really helped me um, the first two years of that early development phase. But I did go to a elementary school that was very diverse. I wouldn't say that there's a lot of Asian people or a lot of like white people. It's just like a blend of like all different races. And so like my best friends growing up when I was in elementary school were um, like I had like one black friend and then one Russian friend and so like my like friend group was pretty diverse it wasn't until I went to like middle school that I realized that like people started grouping themselves together with their own races I, I, th- I thought that was a little weird because I went to elementary school where like everyone ha- hung out with each other but then when I went to middle school all of a sudden people are grouping themselves with like their race or 
like the stare, like the stereotypes, right? That was pretty hard growing up, like from middle school to high school, where you grew up with the same people, yet you're changing, but you feel like you have to like mold yourself into these stereotypes that people casted like on you pretty early on. When you moved from middle school to high school, were you still friends with your middle school friends or you kind of start drifting away because of that, that expectation that you have to stick with your own kind of people or your own race? I felt that I started to, you know, drift towards like hang out with people that like looked similarly to me. So then my friend group started to become kids I hung out with in the same classes and things like that. And I I feel very blessed to have met the friends I did in middle school because they're still my best friends. Like, oh, still my best friends. I love to hear that. I feel weird that I was like hanging out with people that looked like me. It's just the stereotype that people casted on me that made me feel weird. Ooh, like what kind of stereotype did they cast on you? I did like the advanced classes, right? When I was in middle school and I was like, I was one of those like AP students. In my household, education was so important. I I was not able to play video games or like my DS and things like that because my parents took it away from me. Whenever I like did poorly school, they say that, you know, they'll take it away for now, but nope, they took it. They took it away from me forever. forever? I, wasn't able to, I wasn't able to find it until I was in college. I was just like, oh, this is where my DS went. <laughs> Dude, then what's the point of getting I get it? It was so important for my sister and I to get good grades like growing up because that was what my parents knew would get us to where we needed to be in the future. Um, so education was so important. So I kept, I did keep my head down. You know, I did- um, like focus so much on school and just studying uh, that my social life lacked a lot. And I also played tennis. And so tennis was my only outlet for like doing other another thing besides studying. So I think because of me keeping my heads down, like me thriving in subjects like math and science, like people casted me as Probably someone who is shy, like someone who is really good at math and all these, you know, other Asian stereotypes where I remember like if I were in a class where I didn't take an AP class, like people would always look to me for the answers. Earlier, you mentioned that, that like people cast you as a shy girl or whatever. I remember back then my friends would be like, oh, you're so Asian as like an insult. So you never want to be called so Asian. And you always be like, no, I'm not so Asian. And then now I'm thinking about it. What defines so Asian? What is so Asian? And people would be like, oh, you're a fob. I hate that when people call me fob. I felt like they were looking at me in a, in a different lens or like a tainted glass. And I would hate that. And I remember sometimes I would get so angry. I'm like, don't call me that. And then they're like, ooh, Callie's getting angry. I'm like, yeah, because you're being an asshole. <laughs> Callie, you sounded so fierce, like when you were in high school and like when you were little. I- no, I I was I was definitely very shy. Um, well, obviously there are times when I, I reach my limit. So what happened is I used to be very shy in front of people that I don't know, but at home, like you know, like I am a firecracker. After a while, as you like know, I move around, so I had to learn to get out of my bubble way quicker than anyone else could. I try to keep it like a very quiet 
persona in high school and I try to not deal with stuff like if, if they have drama they do with their own thing I just kind of stay out of it but if someone try to cross me and I get angry then I'm definitely gonna call them out but especially only their friends so if they're people I'm not really close with I don't call them out and I remember one time like someone was being rude to me and my sister kind of like, called her out she was like how dare you say that about Callie I think I was kind of like picking my fight when to fight back and when not to fight back obviously you don't want the Asian girl to get in trouble you know but Asian girls don't get in trouble because they think that we're we're good girls. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny when, um, you know, we were talking to Kai and we had proposed the question of finding your voice. And we had asked him like, oh, how did you find your voice? And he was just like, well, I never had to find my voice because I was encouraged to have one. And I'm just like, ooh, like, that's so great. <laughs> And yeah, then, I remember seeing our faces. We we're like, whoa, <laughs> because in Asian culture or in our Chinese culture, you don't want to question authority. Like if you do, it becomes a like a smacking <laughs> You get punished. <laughs> or like sometimes you hear it and you're like, oh, that's questionable, but you're not going to say anything because you don't want to offend anyone or start a fight. You're just kind of like, okay, I'll just deal with it just kind of suck it up so it was definitely very refreshing to hear Kai said that he was just encouraged to have a voice actually that reminds me of my law school application and talk about my experience getting bullied and people were trying to jump me and I think like towards my last year of college I was just like you know what fuck it like like you can you can judge me all you want I'm not gonna give a crap if you want to laugh you can laugh I don't give a fuck but if you want to learn I can talk to you more more about my culture but I don't care I really don't care and I think when I came to California for college, I was like, wow, there's a lot of my people here. But at the same time, not enough other race that I see. So it was just, would I fit? Oh, when you brought up your law school essay, it made me think about my college essay that I wrote because one of the experiences I put was how I was in a classroom and I remember talking to someone in my high school classroom and one of the things he told me was wow Joyce like you're different from what I thought you were and in my head I'm just like what what did you think I was but I you know at the time like I didn't want to question it I remember like writing that in my essay and thinking about you know like the stereotypes thinking about like how people perceived me and when, again, when I was at home, like I was a completely different person. Like I wasn't shy. It's just so astonishing to just see, you know, this differences and how these stereotypes like influenced me as a person, like going to school, but then how, like when I was at home, it's like a judgment-free zone. How do you feel like you would have been different now if you didn't have to go through what you went through? I can go first. Sometimes I think about this question. I'm like, how would I be now if I didn't have to go through all that stuff that I did? Obviously, going through it was hard. But I think because I went through it, I came out stronger. I came out a lot more outspoken. And sometimes I also kind of started to know my worth and see the injustice and I can just call them out. Obviously, it sucked that I had to go through those stuff. But I think I like the Hallie that I am today. And I'm hopefully I'm going to go towards the Cali that I will love later on. Yeah. I had paused when you had asked that question because I, when people ask me the question of like, you know, what I would change if I were to change anything from my experiences, like what would I, what would I do? And those kind of questions have always been really hard on me to answer because I love where I am today. And 
I feel like a big part of that, like the reason why I'm like empathetic, the reason why I care a lot about other people and their experiences is because of like my experiences growing up, right? Like I hated the feeling of feeling judged. Like I hated having people cast a stereotype on me. Like I hated feeling like I just had one identity because of those experiences too. Like, yes, like I'm okay with being like who I am now, even though like the journey of it from like elementary school, middle school, high school, hated high school. (laughs) And then like going to college and like going through like phase where I was just like still trying to figure out like, like who I was and, you know, exploring like different parts of me. That was like also very important because I like ultimately just made me a stronger person. Yeah, I agree. And I think at least from in my point of view, I felt like these experiences humbled me. Um, I definitely was, I definitely was kind of cocky. I don't know for what reason. I, I don't know why I was cocky, but, but I was definitely very cocky when I was younger. Like I had no right to be cocky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it humbled me a lot. I was like, yo, Kylie, like calm down. Like you're not that great. <laughs> I guess on the same boat, like it sucked, but I like where I'm at today. And I think it allowed me to be more empathetic. Like you said, like you understand if someone's going through something. I guess I'm also becoming more sensitive in the sense where I feel like someone isn't comfortable. I'll try to make sure they're comfortable because I understand how it felt like when you were in the same boat. I wasn't comfortable in that in that place once and I totally know how it feels like to be alienated. And I wouldn't want the next person to go through that same thing. And I think that allowed us to kind of be more understanding. At what point in your life did you start embracing who you are? I started to begin embracing around the end of like towards like last few months of high school but then I fully started embracing and overcoming it when I was in college I was more comfortable with my in my own skin I embraced the k-pop that I listened to I embraced the Chinese pop that I listened to I started adventuring out to like Filipino music Indonesian music I'm like you know what I'm gonna embrace all of that like you guys can't say anything. And then, so when I was in college, I, I met some people who actually like similar things. I'm like, wow, like I could be myself. I, I could I could talk about K-pop, but also talk about American pop culture at the same time. I could talk about dim sum and talk about eating, I don't know, stick free, whatever. So I was starting to embrace who I was, that many different aspects of myself. But it took years. It didn't just happen overnight. It took years to kind of join groups, be friends who are like-minded. And that's how I started to embrace myself. Would you say your journey was also in college or was it like earlier? I would say it was in college when I started to really embrace who I was. Um, I think the novelty of going to college is that you're with people that are like the same age as you. There were like, what was it, Callie? Like 28,000 like undergrads. There's a lot. I have no idea. There was a lot. I remember like joining different groups and not like sticking to just one group. And I think like from hanging out with so many different people just made me realize, okay, like, yes, I don't have just one identity. Like I have like so many parts of who I am, which is why I'm like, connected to like I, I was like in a business club found people that were really able to support me and help me embrace who I who I am and then when I entered my second year I joined a Taiwanese organization and I connected with people there and I found another group that I like really connected with 
And like these people are like some, like some of my close friends. And so just being able to hang out with like different people, um, develop relationships from like different groups, it just really helped me embrace who I was um, because I was around people that encouraged me to do so. And I love that when you mentioned you hang out with different groups of people and I think that's a very important thing, at least in my opinion, it's very important to, just, to not just put all your eggs in one basket and just join one org because very often you start embodying that org. And I think I love that you're in different organizations, have different groups of friends because you can just be you to the fullest. Your point, it, it wasn't overnight where you started embracing who you are. And I'm sure there are moments sometimes where, you know, there are insecurities that come back. It's like a roller coaster ride, right? When it comes to like dealing with these things. But then what I learned like after graduating is that my priorities change. And so there's another part of me that I needed to start accepting. As we grow up, we just start prioritizing different things and we start having to embrace other parts of ourselves that we're still identifying. Yeah. I was going to make a reference to cheese and wine. You know how like at first when you're like, oh, I don't really like it, but after you let it, let it sit for a little bit and it marin- marinates, not marinate. What's the word? Um, Ferment. Yeah. <laughs> Be it. Thank you. <laughs> Wait, what's, what's that? What's the thing? I was like, oh, thank you pretty much. That's the best. <laughs> oh my God. I said marinate. Like, <laughs> barbecue. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, wait. Joyce, do you like a blue cheese? After fermentation, people will love you even more. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say to that. No. I do love my uh, wine and charcuterie. You can be cheese. I can be wine. Thank you very much. You age like fine wine. Girl, hell yeah, girl. I am fine. And I ferment like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you can also be wine. Yeah. Um, we're on hella off topic. But anyways, to go back to overcoming and embracing our past, embracing our true identity, well, getting there, I guess. I hope I figure out who I am. Yeah, but it's like an ongoing process, right? Yeah. And typically, like in our previous episodes with our special guests, we ask them, you know, what is one thing they would like people to leave with? And so Kelly and I had thought about that question for this conversation. And if I were to think of, you know, growing up as a Chinese American, with all the experiences I'm going through, I want our listeners to, to just embrace who they are and to question the social norm and be with people that like you for you. Because if I were to think about my friends, my like overall support system, my family, they've all accepted me for who I was and created this like judgment-free zone. And it's so important to, you know, find people that connect with you in that way. And just overall acceptance is so important. So I think without that support system, like, I don't know where I would be, right? But I wouldn't be here where I am today, where I am on this ongoing journey, right, of embracing who I am. But I'm far better than where I was in the past. I think to add on to that, I would say use opportunities to educate others. When people don't understand your culture or understand what you're going through, use this as opportunities to learn, to educate. Thanks for tuning into our episode where we share our stories growing up as Chinese American and Canadian. And we hope you got to know us a little bit better. 
Make sure to not miss our podcast by clicking the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram, One Real Self. Cheers. Thanks for joining us.